All right, guys, we're uh, set, kicking off our, our second podcast season for Shadow Dragon. Uh, myself, Daniel Clemens, CEO of Shadow Dragon. I've got Elliot Anderson, our CTO, and Nico, Dutch OSINT guy. We're hoping to have some pretty good fun on the podcast. Um, once we get our mics and everything figured out, the podcast will be better every single time. But um, just kind of kicking things off, we've got a few big things going on in the OSINT world, um, as well as just the investigative world and the chaotic world that we all live in right now. Um, I've got a few topics that we want to hit, but before we do that, what are some reflections on, on everything since, I guess, the last year and a half? There's so much to cover there uh, since we've, we've all met, but... Nico, what do you got that's just groundbreaking in the last, you know, 12 to 18 months for you? Same with you, Elliot. I think everything that has to do with the ongoing war in Ukraine has been, has shown, let's say, the groundbreaking power of open source intelligence in general. I think that has really proven that it will never go away again. It also brought us a lot of, let's say, wannabe internet sleuths that um that are not practicing open source intelligence but for me it's maybe more open source information collection without actual context and analysis fluorescent fake OSINT. yeah maybe well I, I have that shirt less uh less bullshit more ocean that's i think uh also a good thing um, i love it i love it, it from my perspective in the last year, I'm and and I know this is going to be a theme that comes up a lot, is we've seen a increased decentralization of sort of social media, not just social media, but, uh, you know, just the Internet as a whole. I mean, if if you were to go back, you know, let's say eight years, your social media online is forums, Facebook, a little bit of MySpace, some Twitter, and uh, maybe some Instagram, and that's about it. Um, now we have numerous social media platforms and I think that's going to accelerate. I think it's going to actually get, uh, even crazier. I mean, Peter Thiel bought a uh, rumble, you know, so there's yeah. large amounts of money that are going to be flowing into, I, I wouldn't, I, I'm just competing platforms. Like, I, I don't think we're going to see, we're going to be in a world where YouTube is where it is today and say five more years i think it will it'll still be big and important but i i think we'll have you know a lot of sort of secondary things um in that space i think that's been a big change obviously the ukraine stuff um has been very big and uh there's also been i would say a little bit of um kind of to what you're you were talking about nico the world has started to see what osint is uh, there's that netflix movie i've never watched and everyone keeps telling me over and over to watch it's like don't don't f with cats or whatever yeah. And it's like, you're when when I say, oh, we do this as a business, this is what we work in, this is a space we're in, used to it was like, what is that? And now it's like, oh, it's like the Netflix show. And so I think that's going to create a lot of bad behavior in the OSINT community where people basically do crappy stuff. So, you know, and we've seen that, you know, in the last few years. Yeah, months. I mean, there's always a, a rise in and in, in change in every single group as it starts to gain a little traction we saw this when 
when DevCon was small, it became bigger. Same thing with you know web application and and uh, forensics. There there ends up being a fragmentation, and then there's people that are mimicking different personality types or mannerisms just because that was what was before them versus who they actually are because they want to fit a role, you know. Um, yeah. And you see that even in some of the air quotes more famous people, I guess, in the OSN scene, if if they are famous, but you know, like they're more uh, noteworthy uh, with newspapers than probably some of us. Um, they're they're kind of you know playing a role versus just being who they are, maybe you know. So when you talk about decentralized social media, do you literally mean like? it's not owned by the larger companies or do you mean decentralized that it's sensor resistant because they spread all the information cryptographically and i i didn't mean web 3 3.0 kind of like stuff i do think the i do think that will there'll be a group that gets into that but i mean telegram groups two years ago were not that big of a thing and today yeah. you know they are and so that's that's a decentralized area. And so I say decentralized, I just mean most social media was kind of in a few buckets or mostly interactions yeah. people do on the internet was a few buckets. And now there's like hundreds and hundreds of buckets. I, I mean, there's always been forums and communities and, you know, even IRC channels and things like that. I'm not, I'm not saying this is like, Oh, it's a totally new thing, but the, this is going to become more prevalent. Um, you know, Elon Musk, based Twitter, and I immediately see a bunch of movie stars saying, oh, we're moving to this new tribal. I don't even know if I'm saying it right. Tribal platform. And, you know, you have uh, YouTube. I mean, Rumble and Odyssey exists because YouTube kicked people off. That's why that that's yeah. where they went. Yeah. And so the reason I bring up, brought up Peter Thiel buying it is there's money in those platforms. So when I say decentralized, I don't necessarily mean not a big company. I just mean you're going to have more and more buckets uh, that are more. Yeah like i guess you could call it like-minded groups or or something like that but that that's what i mean by decentralized is we're going to see more more and more and more of these platforms pop up and and they'll come and go you know but i yeah. i i think this is going to be the norm i i don't think we're going to see a re-centralization uh until like sort of the ar vr what would you call it singularity or whatever everybody starts doing ar stuff or whatever but there'll probably be some centralization then but I would As also a, add, I mean, I kind of look at it a little bit of a different view too. Like this is people are chasing a drug, an unregulated drug, you know? And so as there's going to be a new platform, they're, they're always going to be trying something else new. And yeah. um, some of it for, for the, for the majority of people, you know, there's, they're using it as um, a small dopamine hit, you know? And when there's something new in the market, they're going to try it and, um, or they're going to stay with the thing that, you know, they're, they're most comfortable with and they have the most followers and, and whatnot. And so, I, I mean, that's the human nature component that I see, but I, I still, I agree with you, Elliot, like the unintended consequences of, of censorship on free speech is kind of where we're at right now. And it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the next, you know, just, two months and then what's going to happen in the next 24 to 36 months as as it kind of hits a new wave of hopefully more first amendment or free speech type 
exercising on these platforms, you know? I think I think that'll happen on Twitter with Elon buying it. I mean, I think that'll definitely happen. But I think there's a lot of people that don't want that. And that's why yeah. it's going to splinter. I, I, I think there's people that want to go to a platform where they feel safe, you know, or where they feel like they're part of a community that doesn't tolerate a particular type of whatever, you know, and right. some of those are going to be extremists and some of them are going to be, you know, relatively benign, think Pinterest or something, you know, like, you know, sort of a relatively benign group. Um, but I, I do agree with you. I think it's going to create an interesting dichotomy and in what is okay to say online in different places and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's definitely people are showing their true colors of, of what they really believe. Do they believe in extending dignity to people with who they disagree with? Or are they going to kind of have the same? You, you've probably heard this at family events every now and then. Um, they don't say, I don't, I disagree with you. They say stuff like, stop talking about that. Yeah. stop talking yeah. you know and you're like well so far for free speech right 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 so yeah. but that's 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 something that's really getting ingrained into into um the conversation on both sides of of the political spectrum i think and and that's something that's scary we we have to be able to extend dignity to people where we can disagree but don't tell me to shut up or yeah. don't yeah. don't don't force it into a, a state of coercion, really, you know. And I think it will be impossible to enforce all these things on 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 any platform because you have to do deal with international jurisdictions, laws, and that's that's. It, for me, it was funny because I'm from Netherlands and I saw some politicians literally pointing the finger at Elon, like, "Hey, you have to comply with our laws," and and I'm like. No, it's his platform. He owns it. You're just a guest there. And if you don't like it, you don't have to be there. And I think that's what people are forgetting uh, about social media platforms. You're nothing more than a user and you're nothing more than a guest there. And if someone owns it, they can literally decide what to do with it. The internet still has no international law. And I don't think there will ever be a international law about internet regulation because that's impossible to deal with all the countries and religions and politics involved all around the world totally agree totally agree and and kind of going back to one of those first things that you had mentioned nico about the ukraine conflict um that has been really interesting on on watching this you know you know scary adversary aka russia come onto the scene they they are clearly the aggressor ukraine is the victim but you know they're they're not entirely innocent there um but russia's always kind of pushed this big disinformation or di disinformatia whatever they want to call it um for the last 50 60 years maybe even 100 years if you go back to you know the the bolshevik revolution um them moving into russia and and the, them pushing their narratives it was great to see counter narratives spun faster than they could push their narratives before it could even stick in any immediate form and, and i kind of felt like wow this is super awesome this is something we're gonna look back on after this conflict is over and say one russia was a regional power 
they weren't a global power at all. What a what a bunch of retards. And then two, like truth was beating lies right in front of our face, and we can see the impact of 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 truth. You know, really setting the stage for a, a different playing field, and that's where I kind of come into thinking about this as, you know, OSN is a key tool and a key component in asymmetrical warfare on many levels, not just, you know, is this true? Is this not true? It's, it's, there's many components to this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think the long-term, um, when you look at how things went starting, let's say pretty early around 2014 with Crimea, You've seen that in the years before the PSYOP games that were being played by right. both sides were very interesting to watch, but also I think it's some great lessons learned for MODs all around the world, law enforcement all around the world that you can monitor and you can partially predict when things may be happening uh, when yeah. it comes to conflicts like this. You, you, can, you can literally watch how narratives are being spread slowly, really slowly, really subtle. Yeah. Yeah. I think this chain, this has changed warfare forever. Um, looking at this and we already saw a little bit when, um, the United States left Afghanistan around that period. We, we, or at right. least I noticed similar things that you could have picked it up way earlier than, for example, traditional press picked stuff up. Right. And I, uh, we've seen this, I mean, I think this is just on display for the layman too, though, for, for the everyday Joe, everybody was able to see this. And, and, you know, that was the cool part to me because, you know, psyops and influence operations, you know, that was, that was, those are key components. And going back to world war two, you know, we, you know, we got good wins there um, in that, but, not everybody knew about that right away or as live as it was going on. And, and that was the cool thing to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Eyes and ears are literally everywhere. Now you don't need spying devices anymore. You just need people with smartphones, internet connection, and they will be your eyes and ears. That's why I think open source intelligence is so important in these conflicts or in these situations. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be really honest. Um, and kind of eat some crow a little. I, I, I just, I mean, I obviously bought into Russia's strength. I mean, and I've been online for years and watched them. We, we, Dan and I have been on the inside of seeing some of the stuff they did on Facebook and the elections and things like that. And now I thought they were going to roll the Ukraine. I thought they were going to smoke them. I thought it was going to be, I thought they were going to get completely melted. And it wasn't until seeing some of the, some of the data coming out especially in the OSINT world and just really, really Twitter and Telegram and places like that. And just seeing what everyone was, was saying that I went, Whoa, Russia is not, they're not, they're not nearly as good as they say they are. And um, so, I mean, it's obviously effective because I mean, we're in the industry and I'm, I'm sitting here going, Russia's powerful. We've seen them mess with elections. We've seen them mess with this stuff. Yeah. And so um, anyway, it's just an interesting, uh, it's an interesting thing to see because how do I take that? How do I take that? Or how do we all take that in the future and go, okay, who's tricking us? Who's, 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 who's 
running these campaigns and how does that work? But but I think that's a great that's a great point because from my perspective, all warfare is always cognitive in the end. You know, this could be you're writing an exploit. Okay, what am I looking for? I'm looking for input validation. When I, you know, can evade the input validation and get, you know, some leverage control, I can then execute my payload. Once I have payload, I can then gain persistent access and, you know, gain, you know, long-term access and control the whole situation and move lateral. The same thing is happening with, you know, everything that comes out at, at from a news source to a book to everything, every input that you allow into your life is hold every thought captive, you know, otherwise that is going to influence how you see, perceive, touch, feel, interact, make decisions with every part of life. And so, you know, like watching the Ukraine thing, I hope that a lot of people saw that individuals can make a larger impact from the data that they collect and the things that they, they share because like, let's take a, a very small little minute piece of information from like a data dump, right? Like a small piece of information, um, from a data dump off of, you know, some of the Russian servers, we can extrapolate a lot of information of, of, you know, operational security measures that are in place to who they're connected with, to, you know, where they've traveled. And that's just, rolling with the current capabilities that we currently have in-house and we're just you know we're just a company that enables that success right and there's but there's a whole industry behind us too right so yeah um i just some of those wins were really cool um one of the one of the big ones that i was looking at was um the first one was uh some of the wagner group Mm-hmm. that that um for those that are not uh familiar with that it's the wagner group is a, a team of kind of like mercenaries from russia that that have almost zero moral compass at all uh most people would say and um they've been engaged in conflicts in syria and human rights abuses in africa all over the place and um they are they're definitely a force to be reckoned with and one of the commanders of, of their team had shown up at one of their, you know, air quote bases or whatever, taking a picture. And, and in that picture, there was a small little piece of information that was able to be exploited by, you know, people gathering information, um, open source intelligence style. Uh, that was handed over to, you know, military forces, I guess, in Ukraine and they took out a large person you know a large percentage of that group and that's been you know a huge aggressor on an international yeah. stage for a long time and it's not that they're all all taken out right now but just one small piece of information shared in the wrong way changed the battlefield possibly for the long term yeah absolutely um, and I mean, I'm sure you guys know more about the specifics on that particular um, leak. I looked into it a little bit, but definitely didn't do any of the work. 
Well, it's in, it's interesting because I, I remember vividly uh, after the Crimea uh, stuff in 2014, that Russia prohibited all military personnel to bring in any smart devices uh, during when they are deployed, which for me was from an open source intelligence perspective interesting because it could potentially now create a blind spot for a lot of people trying to investigate what military troops are doing. So we started looking into that, but... <laughs> The funny thing is that their, for example, their wives uh, had sec secret, quote unquote, forums on the internet where they talked to each other or the people at least who stayed back in Mother Russia were talking, hey, I just had my husband on the phone, on satellite phone, and they are now here and here. So even though that they didn't bring their devices, information was still being disclosed. And we had locals taking pictures and locals, uh, they were not actively being attacked but still we had pictures and footage so it didn't even matter that they did not bring their gps devices and smartphones anymore because there were still eyes and ears everywhere and people but and again it comes to good operation security it's hard mm -hmm. it's it's not a tool it's a it's not a trick it's it's tradecraft it's right it requires a lot of tenacity yeah, and I would I would add to that. I mean, going down our our list of rules for good investigations, some of those issues that you just highlighted fall into two areas. One, find the mom or the wife, the connector of the group. Where are they communicating? You know, if if I haven't yeah. been able to find that person in a familial structure, I'm asking the wrong questions, or they're just yeah. not online, which is a pretty rare circumstance nowadays. And then the other thing is, you know, bad guys order pizza too. So where are they communicating? Where's their address? Where's that line of communication? Where are they comfortable? And uh, you hit it right on the, you know, the nail on the head there, you know, like OPSEC failures because yeah. people I communicate, you know. I found Islamic State rebel groups during my time in the government due, due to groups leaving behind Yelp reviews of the bakeries where they ate. That's literally mistakes. There was no way of finding them until they started reviewing the bread that they ate every clicks that they went somewhere. It's, yeah. it's funny you say that, Nico. So one of the things that is like near and dear to my heart when I research anyone uh, or any group is when when an individual is in a heightened emotional state, they will behave outside of the OPSEC they normally operate with. So that either means they really, really liked the place they were eating or they really hated it. You know, yeah. if they're on a dating website, they're really excited. They're meeting this person or they're really angry, you know? And so anytime, anytime and any person is in a heightened emotional state, they will behave outside of the parameters that guide them. You know, it's the same reason we accelerate way harder when we're mad at somebody on the interstate or the same reason that we yell at kids when we're in that state is, you know, we normally don't do that, but the same extends to the online space. So Yelp is a fantastic example of heightened emotional states. Other places that you, you see that dating, dating places, uh, anything sports are sort of gaming related. If you, if you've got people, you know, uh, you know, amped up about that. Uh, I think food reviews are probably the quintessential screw up though. I mean, I, how many times have you seen a, a Google review? connected to some email that should not have a review connected to it. And it's because someone was upset at a, at a, at a veterinarian or, or mad about some bad Chinese food or whatever. That's uh that's something that I am. Um, I personally really like to look for. 
uh, whenever I'm researching is because that's going to be raw. They're going to tell you where they are. They're going to tell you what they like and don't like. Yeah. Uh, heightened emotional states. Also keep that in mind when you're online, <laughs> maybe don't yeah. yell about the Chinese food place. Maybe just go. It's okay. I don't care. Yeah. Well, One it's star, also, that's it. It's <laughs> also good. I mean, we've, we've looked at different hiring candidates based on, are they rage posting at night? Right. Is that going to be somebody that's going to be stable for work? Is it going to introduce more conflict? Is it going to introduce more uh, drag or, you know, anything negative into the group or the team? And it doesn't have to be just, you know, OPSEC stuff. It could, you know, it could be, are they just rage posting after 10 o'clock? Yeah. Why, why aren't they sleeping more? You know, Extre extremist, extremist behavior in any fashion is, is a, yeah. is a, is usually an indicator of, of a not balanced individual, definitely someone who's not going to be a good engineer or a good analyst. Um, you know, and it, whether it doesn't really matter what they're mad about, it could be Trump, it could be, it could be Pokemon, it could be anything. If they're going crazy at two in the morning about it on Twitter, it's that's that's a yep. that's a clue. <laughs> this is why I always sometimes I think uh, people underestimate the power of virtual human in combination with OSINT because it's it's pretty easy to pinch someone let's say in a telegram group and just say hey I'm pinching you real quick with one little phrase one little comment and then the rage will start yeah and without without me exposing myself just that for example we had those convoy groups all over the world that were everybody wanted to know where they where those convoys were deployed because that had huge impacts on on let's say supply chains and that kind of stuff just pinching them just pinching them with one little comment trying to make maybe a little bit fun of them or something like that they will go all out and they would yeah. overshare everything it's so easy sometimes no i i totally agree i mean if you can get somebody in a unstable state you can get the home court advantage you get home court advantage then you control the field, right? And that's where yeah. that, that next level targeting always plays out. And, you know, if you can't pinch them with, with some kind of provocative action, hey, go back to the playbook of, like, curiosity. Curiosity kills the cat, right? Like, yeah. eventually, if you're going after one target, eventually just figure out what's going to, what are they going to scratch? And, and um, boom, you know, winner, winner. Yeah. Um, so kind of going down our list here, we've got a few things, uh, Elliot, you were mentioning, you think, um, Facebook's dying and there's a few new platforms coming out. So I think that we're in the, we're just in a, a cycle that's going to repeat over and over, uh, in, in the online space. Um, if, so let's go back to the nineties, the original versions of the internet, um, so you have Dan, me and you are in a little bit more hacker world, some BBSs, you know, IRC channels, stuff like that. Uh, but your average, you know, the, the average group on the internet was maybe some CompuServe, maybe AOL, local ISP. They found some websites, maybe a forum or two. The social interactions in those spaces were raw. You yeah. knew those guys in the IRC channel. You knew this guy likes Nine Inch Nails and this guy likes, you know, whatever. You, you knew that. So it was very sort of raw interaction, not a lot of video and pictures. 
And then as we moved into the early 2000s, we saw some of the Yahoo stuff, Yahoo games, chat rooms, stuff, those sorts of places where people went to. You want to you want to talk about I'd love to see a documentary on the collapse internally of of Yahoo, because you want to talk about a group that had the whole Internet, like their claws and everything, and then they just lost it all. That's a great example. Um, But we started to see the rise of things like MySpace. Uh, We moved from sort of the forum world and things of MySpace again a raw world people were blasting music as soon as you got on the profile they were being kind of wild you had to pick your top eight friends i mean think of sort of the intimate behavior there and then as facebook and twitter and and that kind of stuff came along what we saw is we saw a polishing of the internet profile if i went to someone's myspace profile or their um uh, you know, or just talk to them in a, a channel. It was pretty raw. It was pretty realistic on who they were. And Facebook and Instagram came along. And I remember uh, Zuckerberg was made fun of for buying Instagram for one dollar a user when 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 he bought it. And I think it was I don't remember how many million it was, but it was it was everybody thought it was crazy. And now now look at him, look who's laughing. And, and YouTube was also you know when when Google bought YouTube. They were like one so that, one point yeah, four right. billion, and now they make like something like one point four billion every yeah. two weeks or something. Yeah, every five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but well, but YouTube was YouTube really started to hit that stride around the same time, 2011, 2010, that time frame. So you started to see this polishing of social media presence. Here's my beautiful kids. Here's my beautiful. Here's my the world beautiful is a happy Instagram. place. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and it moved away from this raw aspect of of sort of online interaction. Um, so children today, I've got children. Um, I know Dan, I know you've, you've got kids in Nico too. These kids are being raised in this world where this is what is cool for mom and dad. And we all know that Dan, I especially know <laughs> our, our history being kids. Our parents were zero cool, like not cool. Anything they were doing was the opposite of cool. You know, like the, the worst thing, the last thing you wanted to do. And so they're growing up in this world with that beautiful image of themselves um sort of just something they hate and so facebook instagram and all that they're in the same position that yahoo was i think uh in the early days as things evolved to the more polished stuff but i think it's a cycle and you can see it be real has gained 50 million users i think it's like in four months or something yeah, like that it's crazy it's crazy yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and 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 now i i'm not gonna sit here and say that oh it's all raw and totally real but it has that aspect to it it has this raw uh, more personal connection to it and then you bring into some the stuff you were talking about earlier dan where you said censorship um i know there's if you go on 4chan and you look at a post you will see every kind of crazy thing in the world. You go on Facebook and you'll never see that. And so the groups that want to say that stuff are not going to ever go back to Facebook. They're never going to go back to platforms like that. Maybe their kids will. As, well, as and time I think goes, it's, but... I don't think it's necessarily that super, you know, nerdy inter- internet guy in the basement on 4chan. It's man, it's like grandparents. They don't like it when they're like, direct messages are like redacted when they share a link about something they want to talk yeah. to their friends about. Like, no one wants to be moderated, right? Yeah. No nobody one. wants to be moderated. <laughs> Cause everybody's you know, right all the time. <laughs> right. But, but it's still like, I, I hear, um, you know, my wife's parents and you know, they're in their, their seventies, just super pissed off about the fact that somebody's moderating anything 
even on direct messages to their friends. You know, where where's that line? But well, anyway. but that's and that's what's killing Facebook. I yeah. do I think that they will be able to pull off the metaverse? I don't think they will. I sort of that AR VR space. Someone will do it. I'm gonna throw my money on Apple, probably providing at least the the lens for it. But that's a few years out. But right now I think they're just they unless they buy B Real and they just, you know, constantly, you know, suck up these companies, you know, I don't I think that they're the old guard. They're the Oldsmobile, you know, in in GM's portfolio. It's yeah. just it's something kids aren't interested in. And I think the driving success of all social media comes from kids. Facebook was college. Instagram was the same thing. Mm-hmm. Be real is is all high school students entirely. In fact, I say it now, and most people don't know what it is. The kids do, though. They 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 know yeah. they know exactly what it is. And so I think we're moving into a space where things are going to be a little more raw and are going to split up a little bit. It'll probably you know expand and collapse as time goes. But as they have kids it'll probably loop. It'll probably, it'll, it'll be this, it'll be this continual looping pattern. And uh, as from an OSINT perspective, what does that mean for us? We just got to be there wherever people have their egos, where they put their egos and where they put their time and their messaging and their energy. That's where we need to be. And in the case of something like Facebook, we've also seen this over the years. Everybody remembers Foursquare, right? It was pretty popular for a while. I mean, they have some point of interest map stuff now that they're trying to sell, but we watched them expand what you could do and see contract it. And then as they started to lose other customers, they opened more up so we could get to more data. We have seen that pattern over and over companies start with limited data. They expand it. People start yelling, Oh my gosh, they can find your Facebook account with an email. And then they contract it. And then as they start losing customers to get interest in their platform, they start opening it more. So just the general internet can see it. We've seen that pattern over and over. And so we're just there to watch that. You know, that's that's right. why we exist in that space. But in the um, end for them, it's all about revenue, right? As long as yeah. they have people uh, right. clicking advertisements, they make money. Yeah. And when they lose when they lose money, when they're when they're in trouble, they don't go through and cut out their marketing and their ad stuff. They go in there and they cut out the people that um, protect their systems from bots and stuff like that. So usually it pollutes their systems. We've we've seen this. Twitter, man, good lord, Twitter is is a mess with those fake, you know, accounts and things. And, but they weren't doing very well financially just a few years ago. And, and so it's like, yeah, I, but it's you could like argue they, they aren't today either, but yeah. And, and Twitter just came, was just always shooting themselves in the foot. Right. It's like, what is your business model? You know, they, the, they were horrible to deal with from a business perspective. They're not great to deal with from an end client perspective or the end user, right? And and it's almost as if they didn't ever really want to be successful. And now with you know Elon buying it, I think that that will also be something that really opens up the OSINT universe. Like, let's just say, what if he starts opening up full firehose access for anybody who wants to do it? Yeah, that well, lowers, hope so. you know, that that free market option lowers the bot count enormously. Oh, you want to yeah. pay for more influence? Just pay for it, man. You want to hit, you know, and, and, and commoditize that, right? Like, oh, you want a blue check mark or a red check mark, whatever, you know, like. You <laughs> I wanna... saw somebody asking for a brown check mark this morning on Twitter. Right, like. <laughs> I said, I want a brown look, one. Look, <laughs> like commoditize every option let the free market choose and don't freaking regulate the free speech right like 
And, and if I want to be able to like spend a million dollars on ads and I know it's going to hit this, this group of people and it's like 99%, like not a bot, dude, I'm going to do that every day with the business, but like pushing, pushing dollars into that platform right now, from a business perspective, it's like the return on investment is like almost zero. Same thing with Facebook. Like, why would I put my ads there? It's crap. I'd rather go put it on some platform that's cheaper and has be better reach kind of like, you know, your Bing versus Google, right? Like I I'd argue, I'd argue that it depends on what you're selling. Like in totally our space, agree. Yeah, Facebook doesn't make sense for what we do. I, I'm just ranting about like the, the lack of, of business direction that they seem to have on the platform. It seems to be more idealistic based than, um, but still interestingly, Twitter yeah. has been one of, one of the, let's say, there are not many platforms out there that most people who are in infosec intelligence or whatever you like to call it, uh, look first because when there's any form of breaking news, it will break first on Twitter in 99% of the cases. So for that, it's one of the most valuable tools to, to collect information and to find or at least absorb information if you're interested in, in news and information. I completely agree, Nico. And 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 just in talking about the splintering of social media, I don't think people will actually leave Twitter entirely. I think they will spend more time on other platforms, some, but I do think uh, people I are mean, just afraid of change, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's it's that, and also it's what you said. They've they've got a critical mass of users, and you know, I I'll tell you, I joined Twitter originally because it was funny. I enjoyed, it was the silliest place. It was this fun, silly place where you had to tell a joke in 140 characters, right? Yeah. And yeah. so it was just, it, it was really hilarious at first, but then people felt, realized, oh, we can, we can actually break a news with this. And that's when I got, I would say addicted. I always check it. I, anytime something's happening, I don't go to CNN. I don't, I don't go to, I, I immediately go to Twitter. What's going on? Um, and, and I try to look for the people that I trust and I know on there. So I do think the splintering thing I'm talking about is not going to cause people to have one platform and run away from Twitter or Facebook entirely. It's Facebook maybe, but Twitter, I think people are going to keep coming back to it to, to, you know, you know, somebody sets off a bomb in Tel Aviv, you know, we're not going to go to CNN to see what's going on. We're going to go straight to Twitter, you know. A lot of people still, still have their, let's say their fan base and their, their, their users there. So their listeners are there. So why leave? I've saw people last week saying, Hey, I'm moving over to Mastodon or to counter social or whatever. And the second day, Hey, I'm back again. Uh, the user interface sucks. It doesn't work. So yeah. I'm like, yeah, counter social is a wild place, man. <laughs> yeah. But it's just interesting to see that people just, Hey, Oh no, now there's one guy who has a little bit too much money owns it. So now I'm going to leave it. Hey, it's still the same platform. He, bought it and he has some goals of course things will change but change does not always mean that things are bad and what annoys me most is that people claim that they have rights on twitter i don't i'm just a user i don't pay for nothing there so i don't have a right to claim rights on that platform i i have young children and one of the things i have taught them i mean repeatedly i say if the product's free yeah. you're the product the grass the thinks product. the cows for, you know, the, the, the cow thinks the grass is free. Right. You know? Yep. And it's, it's just like, yeah, I love that. Oh, I've, I've got rights. It's like, no, you don't. <laughs> it's just, you're, uh, you're hanging out on someone's platform. Um, 
it's an interesting thing um, in talking about, you know, Twitter and Facebook and that kind of stuff. What's really what's got me thinking is where the new platforms are going. So I think the raw aspect is something that that platforms are going to go with. But I think because the interconnected way these work, so think a Telegram group, uh, think a, gr uh, a group you're following on B-Real, think um, Snapchat, you know, sort of the interactions are a little bit more, quote unquote, uh, intimate, I would say. I think the power of disinformation will, I think there will be a rise in the ability to influence people. If I get on Twitter and I see someone saying, uh, you know, you know, President Biden does does crack with his son or something, I'm going to give that little pause. It's just a tweet, right? If I'm in a group with people that I feel like are my friends or I know well, and someone says the same thing, the weight of that goes up. Yeah, so it's an echo I, chamber effect, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes, and the chamber yeah, has gotten smaller, so you can get more focused in 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 what you in what you talk about and what you what you. I, I love the words you used earlier. Pinch. I don't know if that's a Dutch thing you brought into English, but it's great pinching people in Telegram. But the uh, the the I, I do think that we're going to see disinformation get actually more powerful. Well, it's any any time you can do targeted messaging in a in a much more focused, you know, aspect, you're going to have a greater return. You know, you got time, you got focus, you got the right delivery web, system. Right? The accountability check is is just way it's it's just not as possible as on an open platform. Right. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good point, Dan. In our notes here, we have energy prices and inflation and that kind of stuff and the effect online. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. So, I mean, I've, I've just been tracking um, some of the the increase in energy prices via, you know, our platform and in different countries um, and also kind of watching some of the markets. So this is less, less kind of target-centric open source intelligence. It's more looking for, you know, what are the in energy price increases in Europe right now? What are the what can I see in the U.S. on gas and diesel prices to you know try to hedge that personally? And kind of you know what I'm seeing is the or what I what what I feel like I'm seeing is the increase in energy prices and being able to monitor that very discreetly helps me make other decisions either in my portfolio or in, in things that I may want to prep for, um, or just, you know, contrasting that against what's on the news. Right. So going back to that whole, well, what's the data tell me does the data tell me a different story than what's going on right now? And, you know, one, one of the things that's interesting right now is, you know, we know that in the U S the strategic oil reserves expired yesterday, right? Um, this is all. This also coincides with, um, you know, in the fall season, there's a, you know, uh, kind of the recipe for fuel changes a little bit because it's cold, which makes it cheaper. Um, this is happening right on on the heels of, of, you know, election time, right? So why is that important to me from just seeing what the data tells me? The 
the rise in, in fuel prices, the rise in energy costs, the supply chain issues haven't been changed in the U.S. since we've had problems with the supply chain for the last six to nine months. These things are going to come back in the next 20, 30, 40 days. And we're, I'm already seeing, you know, diesel companies like in New Jersey, New York start to issue warnings on, hey, we can't fulfill orders past 72 hours because we don't have enough supply. Hey, we're at ThreatCon, whatever, because of, you know, the, the lack of supply. And that's like within a few days or within one day of, you know, the uh, strategic reserves not being pushed into the market as, you know, augmenting the supply and demand. And that's just the U.S., right? Um, in in Europe, you know, you're seeing anywhere from a hundred percent increase to six hundred percent increase across different countries, and that was before the pipeline got broken, you know, broken or yep. sabotaged. <laughs> got um, broken. I like that. Not broken. It's broken. <laughs> it got broken. You know, it got broken. <laughs> um, and um. So I'm just looking at all of this and thinking, okay, if I, if I kind of step back and I think, all right, so survivability is important. Um, the rise of in, inflation and energy go together. That's going to hit, you know, your mom and pops, um, everybody across the board pretty significantly does that increase uh, instability and encourage criminal behavior when the world is a flat universe, you know, for online criminal behavior? Because, and I, and I kind of look at that from like, look, look at some of the ransomware stuff. Not all of those guys are super, super sophisticated, right? Like the, but they're piecemealing each step of the process through you know, an underground economy because that's their survival method. So if there's a, you know, a loss in currency and there's a, you know, in, you know, the inflation rate is going high and energy prices are about to go wild everywhere. Are we going to see more instability just across the board? Um, and, you know, cybercrime. So that's kind of, those are like all the, the things that I've been kind of like chewing on for the last 30, 60, 90 days since July. And um, I'm curious about that, you know, like yeah. the, to me, I, I'm, I'm not looking at what the news news is telling me. I'm going and finding the, the actual data on, you know, like when do the strategic oil reserves expire? What, you know, what does that look like? What's the production value there? What's how many permits are getting pulled for drilling, you know, like, and then look at the news and what's getting spun there. You know, it's like, Oh, well, you know, the energy companies made tons of money. Well, yeah, they made tons of money yeah. because you lowered the supply, you idiots. You know, like, yeah. and and it's that just, always like, amuses me when people do that. They get mad at them for selling fuel for more, and they made money. It's like, well, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. what they do, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I, I I just kind of think about that as as we go into a, a winter, just across the across the U.S. and the EU. 
What's it going to be like on the other side? Is this going to change people's perception on air quotes, renewable energy? Is this going to change people to think about, Hey, maybe we have different nuclear policy. Is this going to change people's mindset of, of a collective energy source across the EU to being more independent for each country? And then, yeah. you know, from a derivatives perspective, does that change people's membership in the EU? How does that change the landscape going forward five, six, seven, eight years? And then for the kicker, you know, like you got all those things in motion and the change in perception of Russia being the big bad wolf. They, they, they aren't really that strong. They're kind of a paper tiger. How does that change people's interaction on a global scale for the next seven, 10 years? You know, that's kind of, yeah, that's where those I'm Those are at, some you know? really, really good questions. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think the when, uh, of course I live in the EU and I talk a lot, uh, with a lot of people about these subjects, uh, I slowly am seeing some changing perspectives that, that, uh, the big bear, scary bear, Russia is not so scary as most people thought it was. Uh, the, does never mean that we should never underestimate them because right. look at look at what's going on. But maybe some other countries like China are maybe a bigger risk uh, on the long term um, financially and socioeconomically uh, compared to what's going on now currently. And when you look at oil reserves, energy reserves, uh, global trading, mm -hmm. those kind of concepts, those are things that people they want their smartphone cheap and you know where it's coming from but maybe you should really reconsider those things that cheap does not it comes with a price yeah and I that's totally that's something that 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 you 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 need you need to think about because because when you when you you lo when you you start talking about the numbers and when you start watching let's say inflation we can already see for example in my country uh Burgly, burgly, home burgly was was down, literally down. There was nearly no burgly anymore. The the past four months, it skyrocketed due to people not being able to pay their bills anymore. And these are the the direct effects of what's going on now in the world. And 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 I anticipate that let's say more demonstrations, more rallies will be there because people are frustrated. There will be more, suicides. especially the Dutch. You guys like getting together and doing rallies. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe we maybe we can do one together. No, <laughs> no, I was I was in Paris last week, and they, oh, they know do that too. They, yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. Do it they, uh, they have been rioting for a few years. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. What do you do? But what is this I on your What is this on your resume? Professional rioter. <laughs> but also, I think it's a good thing that people stand up for their rights again yeah. because mm -hmm. social media made people numb. Uh, they gave people a voice, quote unquote, but no one hears their voice anymore because right. you're just now all shouting in the, in the same room and no one is actually listening. That's a fantastic point, Nico. I, I mean, there's a giant, we probably do a whole podcast on the sort of perceived perception of yourself and ego online yeah. versus its actual effect on reality. It's, uh, um, oh, what was the word? I, um, 
there was a, I watched a YouTube video a while back when they were talking about what is virtue? What does virtue mean? Yeah. And, you know, you hear the word virtue signaling all the time, but, you know, what is actually a virtuous thing? And nobody online is being virtuous. They're just signaling a thought, yeah. an idea. It's, it's, it's like, generally yeah. speaking, people are not, you know, generally not virtuous, but that's, I feel like we could do an entire podcast on the premise of ego and, and, and stuff online. I do have a question for you though, Nico, you mentioned burglaries and stuff like that are up. Um, I noticed in the pandemic, uh, obviously ransomware went up, uh, child exploitation is way up and, yeah. and we basically trapped the entire world in their house for yeah. somewhere between six months to two years, depending on where you're at. I'm in Texas. So it was like two weeks, but you know, most places, everybody was kind of trapped in their home. And there was a dramatic impact on people's uh, livelihood. And they immediately, so if you were to say, hey, is Dan and Elliot, are we capable of writing exploits? Yeah, we could, we, are we capable of running really advanced ransomware stuff? Yeah, of course we are. We have morals, we have families, but you start taking people and slowly pushing them to a line where they can't buy food and they can't buy gas and they can't buy fuel. And you go, well, all you have to do is, is insert this ransom, you just, run this ransomware campaign and and you're, you're good yeah. you know or whatever so i'm curious i haven't seen that shift in the u.s necessarily um i live in texas our power our energy is nine cents a kilowatt hour i i run bitcoin miners and they cost nine cents you know, i'm nine coming cents, over there nine cents a kilowatt hour yeah, no, uh, peak yeah. <laughs> peak is 13 i got 13 cents a kilowatt hour at peak peak no, hour I, so we we've actually been thinking about buying a building somewhere in texas and it doesn't even have to be an awesome building. It's just fiber and the internet and put our own little data center in there. Yeah. And whoever wants to be there, hey, come well, come play. You know? well, well, Elon built the largest carbon manufacturing plant in the world now You know, for, for a similar reason. But kind of getting away from the political aspect of it, it's sort of the socio, I guess not economic or so, social impact of it. You're seeing that in Europe. I would, I would say the Netherlands more specifically, but you know, you're seeing things like that go up. What do you think's next? I mean, what are the trends you're seeing? Because, I mean, I, I can't read Dutch, right? You know, but mm -hmm. I think the pattern there will is the same pattern we saw in COVID with ransomware and things. It's just affecting, you know, breaking the cars and things. Like that. I'm just curious about your thoughts on where you, you think, you know, you think that's going to become a popular thing and we have to, you know, wh where do we go with that would be the question I, I, I've got because you have a different viewpoint than I do on that sort of thing. Well, I think in general in Europe, you can see that uh, phishing campaigns, cyber criminal activity in general has gone up the last three to four years significantly. Why? The chances of being caught are slim to none. Um, if you get caught, uh, on average, um, being in jail here in Europe is pretty doable. And the sentences are pretty short compared to, for example, what you guys do. Oh, now uh, you're thrown. You're thrown in like a black hole here. So, yeah. so that, that those are things that are also that I also think why you see that a lot of these ransomware groups and start have will literally have people deployed in European countries because if they get caught, uh, the risk is literally almost nothing to them. Okay, you need to do six month jail, jail time. Um, um, you still get a computer in your cell, and you still get to get to communicate, and you don't get a fine, and you don't get like so. Uh, it's literally worth it to keep doing it, and uh, you can literally see groups, for example, on Telegram uh, that are selling low barrier 
panels to mm-hmm. do phishing campaigns and that kind of stuff because it's so easy and and it's so lucrative. That's and 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 they also know that um, even though that, for example, the Dutch have a very good high tech crime team, so they are literally top notch. Oh, think and that's unique right. too. That's yeah. like unique, like the best in the world. Yeah, but there's only so many people in there. And when you compare it to the actual uh, numbers of crime, there the effect is is almost nothing. It's like it's literally fi- trying to find an entire army on your own, and that's that's. And this is why uh, you need to team up. You need to team up not only with governments, but you also need to team up with uh, people outside of the government, companies like you guys, companies that 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 have been doing this for a living for over decades and you need to do you need to to talk to the private sector because they know what they are doing if you're looking at companies like recorded future trellix uh, they have been doing this and this is where other countries or governments just start to explore these worlds and don't try to reinvent the wheel if you're trying to keep your country safe start talking to people who do this for a living you know, one of my one of the most interesting things is I've done a lot of training classes over the years, and the number of law enforcement groups where I can tell that their OSINT team or their or their digital or online investigator is some somebody's cousin that was like, oh yeah, she knows Instagram, and they hire this person. By the way, some of those people are amazing and they're really good at what they do. Yeah. That's not a slight on them. A lot of them are smart, but what I'm getting at is what you just said, their view on it as an actual problem is so low. They're like, my cousin can do that. Let's hire her to, yeah. to, to, yeah. to come do it. I mean, and that, and I've seen that repeatedly. Um, again, I want to stress some of those analysts are the best in the world. That That's not a slight on them, but it's the, it's the attitude of like, eh, it's, you know, yeah. we need to buy a hundred more armored vests and AR 15s and not buy computers or, 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 or work with, you know, communities or, 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 or people like that. But yeah, yeah, that's a really good point, Nico. Um, yeah. They still nice. act, they still act like the internet is going away anytime soon and the internet <laughs> will not go away. Well, yeah, it's, it's a strategic versus tactical mindset, right? You know, like yeah. once they get more strategic, okay, how many yeah. tanks do we need? Right. Like, yeah. Yeah, and long-term vision. I think most most companies and most governments that are in the cyber realm lack a long-term uh, perspective on what they what they as a company are doing, but also how they are trying to help their clients on the long-term perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's something that you need to focus on. Just like you said, hey, be real. Those are things. It's not a new trend you could have predicted that the internet will change every five to seven years when it comes to its users and what they and their demands and needs yeah once those kids go from high school to finishing college they become adults so it's a seven-ish year window and that's when the change starts to i mean we've, we've seen it now we're only maybe three generations in but i think this is going to keep happening even if we switch to more visual like sort of ar vr i still think the pattern's going to stay because ego ego and just human nature i'm pretty sure people have been thinking their parents are lame for like millions of years so that's going to continue so yeah we're only human ego human nature counterculture rinse and repeat you know yeah it's going to interact online yeah so yeah 
Well, any other topics for this episode, or should we reserve some topics for? Well, the next um, one? yeah, the, I guess the the only other thing that we had had here was you know like you and I have been throwing back and forth a, a few different links as we look for any form of act you know acts of sabotage or destruction you know it, you know is that trending on an upward you know cycle globally um or is it you know isolated to europe and the u.s um i've i've yeah. got a consistent tick on that as well as you know russians being caught in some country in the in the eu with you know taking pictures and having drones right I, I'm just going to say, if Extinction, Re- if Extinction Rebellion throws Chile on one more picture, I want a public spanking for them. I'm tired of that. Those guys oh, are wow. doing that. Wow. Like, th- throw, throw, throw it on something else. Stop throwing it on Van Gogh's and stuff. Stop that. <laughs> That's oh, we we even had people gluing themselves to desks in in late night talk shows over here. And like, if you're going to make your point, do it differently, not like this. But, yeah, but, I, but but coming back to the drone activity, I am noticing a huge spike. I'm using at least a huge spike of people reporting that it's happening. Yeah. And and we and I think it was yesterday that the Norwegians um did their alerts stay a little bit higher because they have had a couple of these incidents where drones were spotted near critical infrastructure. They even extradited someone who has a Russian background. Uh, we yeah, see numerous of these things. Was that the same Russian guy who, when we did the OSN on him, we found, oh, his dad was yeah, a KGB agent, right? Like, yeah. so, you know, yeah. like, that was that was pretty cool because I didn't really know that. And then once I start digging into just his name, his last name, who is asked, you know, who is, you know, familiar, familial structure is, you know, his father had been in the intelligence uh, services, and you could find that online. There was old old articles on that. So, um, just more value for for folks that want to put the puzzle pieces together to to gauge yeah. risk, right? I was going to say, I think drones are have gotten they're getting a more powerful a uh, uh, sort of uh, in the minds of people as zeitgeist or whatever. I mean, just seeing those Ukrainians drop bombs on the Russians with DJI yeah. drones, and they're good at it. Like, they're really yeah. good. And there's not even tech. I mean, the tech is yeah. let go and drop it. Yeah. I think that has caught the attention of everybody in the world that either wants to use it negatively and hopefully the people that want to you know, fight those systems and, and do it positively. But I think we have a 9-11 style drone attack coming. I think I think yeah. someone's gonna link together fifty of them with pipe bombs and fly them into a stadium or something. That's yeah. that's yeah, yeah. And so, it's easy. I to mean, control. I guess that kind right. of begs the question: How many different, you know, anti-drone detection companies are out there? I would love to get some of that. You know, like yeah. set up a perimeter monitor for these, you know, radio frequencies if they're jam it, you know. I saw I saw a video of a guy I using a drone to talk to RF on the drone, and then he was using a laser for another drone really far away, so you couldn't jam it Holy without God. having a laser. Now you could the jam Dutch lasers. national police; they trained an eagle to catch yeah. drones, those little drones. That's nice. <laughs> he, I bet the eagle so, could see the laser too, actually. But that's... so, so, but one thing that I cannot get my head around yet is you have all these, let's say. Um, 
people spotting drones near critical infrastructure. Well, what's the use? What's the need? Because when you look at other eyes in the sky, you don't need a drone because a drone is pretty obvious and you're flying around a vicinity where uh, people are now on high or at least higher alert around these vicinities. If you start flying around with a commercial or semi-commercial small drone, you will get spotted. So why are we why are people doing this it could be way more COVID or at least clandestine it's so super obvious why are they doing this just to show off hey we are watching you so pure intimidation so we are we are mapping out your infrastructure so now you know or what's the goal behind it that's that's for me the unanswered question i i'm i'm seeing a lot of scatter on the internet where people are telling us hey this is happening near critical infrastructure near internet cables near gas or you name it whatever it's it's everywhere but why so obvious why so i mean i i don't know for sure but i would go back to your whole you know they're pinching somebody yeah you know nudging them because you could get you could you could get so much more information out of low orbit satellites or satellites for that matter. You can just go buy too. I mean, you can just right. pay to like, get that. You, I not... mean, you could, you know, and, and you know, like Russia does have the capability, you know, to launch their own satellites. They have their own satellites. They, they, it's not right. like they're brand new to this game. And I mean, I would, I would go down your line of thinking. It's provocatory. It's, it's a pinch. It's, yeah. it's just, you know, some, some of it's, I would about, argue some you know. of it's people just flying drones around. I mean, yeah, I have and drones yeah, and keep it I fly them around, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I would say though, that if let's say my goal was nefarious, if I understood what they're capable of to attack my drones, then, you know, maybe, you know, th- there's probably a teeny percent that's doing that, but you no know, testing that kind of thing. And there's also the, just the, there's also just the actual professional drone uh, uh, pilots that are doing surveying and things like that. And people see that uh, my neighbor is selling his house and, and I, my neighbors came and asked me, well, there's this drone flying around. And, and um, I got online and looked and they're literally surveying in the area with the drone. Cause they're trying to see the property lines and, and that kind of stuff. So I think that there's more professional uses of drones that yeah. also, but people just look up in the sky and they see a drone and they go, Holy shit, a drone, you know, or whatever. Yeah. So but nobody That's... likes it when they're when it's on their property. I've had I've had one drive, you know, fly up to to my house and and I'm like, "Man, I want to shoot that thing." Right? Like I didn't yeah. but I didn't like Don't it. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like it, you know, like being like right on my front porch and I'm like, "Who who the hell is this?" right? Yeah, it's 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 interesting though, but Nico, that's a good thought on it, you know, what would be the purpose of it? My theory is I bet like 70% of it's just kids flying drones around. Yeah, it makes sense, right? Because because I own uh, those drones myself, and and when I go spot a cool location, it will be an industrial plant or something like that, because that will give you cool footage to look at. So if I go to my nearest, let's say, uh, larger infrastructural gas plant over here, they fire it up at night or during. So that's a spot where I would go and fly my drone just because it's a cool location so that makes sense absolutely elliot yeah yeah and the other way yeah i think it could also be purely intimidation just telling just showing people hey we're monitoring your stuff we can do whatever you we want when we want i i've we I've, know, we know I've had people on my street i don't like and i've hovered that are selling drugs and stuff and i'll just hover the drone around them when they have people around 
and it freaks them out. So yeah, there's yeah. intimidation. I mean, I've done it myself. Um, so that makes sense. But I think that, uh, I do think though, that the power of drones is in terms of as a weapon is much higher than people realize. I think, I think it's quite a bit, I think where I'm not saying mountain chain guns and flying giant drones. I'm just saying the ability to take 20 or 30 of them and just drop 30 grenades somewhere or, or something like that. So I do think that, um, well, I mean, you're still talking about a tool that can be used in an asymmetrical fashion. Yeah, going big back time. to yep. the, the, the original topic here, which is, you know, like that's a force magnifier um, in, in the, in the landscape of war, you know? So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Know, so kind of like wrapping up, wrapping up the podcast. Um, two things. One is, you know, training. We're, we're providing some training. Nico, you're providing some training. Um, yep. I had, I had somebody reach out to me actually you know, from the Packet Ninjas team, you know, people that they know in the financial uh, sector wanted to know if they could, you know, do training with you guy with you. Um, and then, you know, maybe some training with us later, but, you know, primarily with you in, in how you're providing that, can you provide some information on your training um, online or, you know, in person, that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, so basically what I do, I, I train uh, two courses, uh, a fundamentals course on open source intelligence and a little bit more an advanced course. Um, um, the fundamentals literally, literally goes into uh, the fundamentals of OSINT. And it's not about the tools. It's never about the tools with yeah. me. It's all about the methodology, uh, the way you think. So it's more about critical thinking, um, doing proper intelligence analysis. Uh, and with that, we need more and more scalability. So that's my main course now that I teach. It's all about being capable of dealing with larger amounts of data mm -hmm. and making sense of larger amounts of data. That's, I think, the red line throughout my entire career. Um, uh, and that's what I'm trying to teach people. So if you want to make sense of data, if you want to understand how things are interconnected and what it means to you and your mission and your goals, uh, yeah, I can probably teach you some stuff about that. So, uh, yeah, and always feel free if someone is interested. Just I'm, uh, you you should ocean me. You should be able to find me and just ask me yeah. questions. I'm an open guy, and I'm always willing to to see where I can help out. Thank you, thank you. Then, Elliot, any last parting words before before we get to uh, mm. the rest of the day? No, I'm gonna say the same thing I say at the end of every class I ever teach, and that is. Don't only use Google as your only search tool. Use yeah. use lots of stuff. There's all sorts of tools out there. They all have different algorithms and focus on different things. So when you're doing your research, Google's awesome. They're good at what they do, but they are not the best at everything. So that's the biggest mistake I see very seasoned analysts make. Yeah, don't do that. So that's Google is not the internet. It's not the internet. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing what you can find on just all the other search engines that are terrible at like a hundred things, but there's a one thing they're really good at that Google sucks at. So you've all seen the uh, being as good at porn thing and it's real. It's better. It's better than Google. So just depends on what you're looking for. Cool. Well, thanks guys. Cool. Look thanks thank you guys. To the, to the uh, next podcast maybe we'll do it in person in um amsterdam or the netherlands here that'll soon. be a loud mess but i'm good with that i don't know oh we can make it work we can make it work yeah see you next week nico
Okay. Right. See you next week. All right. All right. Cool. Adios.